Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the McGill Sports Management Club Speaker Series. I'm joined here today by Lindsay Pinal and me, of course, I'm Kyle Sinnott, the Executive Director of the Sports Management Club. So, Lindsay, just to start off, really appreciate you taking time to speak with us and be here today. Happy to be here and to have been invited. And as a former McGill uh, commerce student myself, I'm, I'm excited to speak to everybody. So thanks. Definitely always great to have uh, one of our own. So I guess let's just dive right in. Uh, for the people listening to this that aren't as familiar about your path in the hockey and just kind of your background, can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. That's a big question. So I'll try to keep it kind of concise and pepper in some uh, stories along the way. But at present, I am the president of the NHL Coaches Association. For those who aren't familiar with us, we represent all of the coaches in the NHL. So that's the head coach, the assistant coaches, the goaltending coach, and the video coaches. So in totality, there's actually about 200 members we have in our association. We also still work with a number of alumni coaches, so think Scotty Bowman, as well as what we call non-active coaches, which is really just a polite way to say guys that were fired that haven't yet been hired. Um, And really what we do is a lot of stuff behind the scenes that the traditional hockey fan wouldn't see. We support them with their contracts and their salary negotiations, their health benefits, their pensions cross-border immigration issues, as you can imagine, you know, they're moving back and forth between Canada and the U.S. when they're for fired and hired. Um, and then beyond that, we have a number of different programs and initiatives that are targeted to help support the development of the next generation of coach. So that's my current role and what I do right now. I'm just wrapping up my seventh season in this role. And when I first came to hockey and to sports, I came with no previous background in sports at all. And, you know, a bit of my personal life, I never um, played hockey as a kid. I obviously never coached hockey. I grew up in Toronto, uh, had figure skate slapped on me when I was four years old, but that's really the extent of my like ice hockey experience. Um, so my, my background really is that I, um, you know, went to high school here in Toronto. I started at McGill in 2002 in the business program. I'd actually started out with a finance major because I loved, I loved finance. I loved the investment industry. I knew I wanted to go into that. But through uh, the first kind of couple of years at McGill, And when we got to elect taking different marketing courses, I really loved all of the marketing and communication and product development side of things. And so I actually switched to do a marketing major um, and still loaded up on a lot of finance courses. So for me, I knew I wanted to graduate and go work in the investment industry, banking, something like that right away. And I had obviously a solid education under me to go and do that. And so right out of school, I started working for um, an investment advisory firm um, here in Toronto on Bay Street. And that sort of started what was then a 11 year career in the investment business. So working at different firms um, on the private side. So after that first company, I went and I, I worked at a hedge fund um, back pre-financial crisis. So I actually started with the um, number two leading fund in the entire world, hedge fund in the entire world uh, in June, 2008. And for those um, who are familiar and have studied the financial crisis of 2008, you know what shortly came after. 
Uh, yeah. And uh, Lehman Brothers was one of our prime brokers. And overnight, I found out that we lost like 600 million US dollars um, with that with that bankruptcy. And uh, so anyway, some stories we can dig into there. From there, I moved to a, a publicly traded investment firm, um, always in marketing roles, always in, you know, VP marketing or um, communications, doing lots of investor relations stuff. And uh, I kind of woke up after 10 or 11 years and was like, is this my passion? Is this what I want to do? You know, I'd had a lot of success uh, in my career up to that point. Uh, I'd made VP of a billion dollar company by 28 and was kind of on a track to be in a senior management C-suite role if I so choose. But I wasn't passionate. I wasn't yeah. jumping out of bed in the morning wanting to go and do this. I felt almost... Um, bored in a way where I'm so curious and need to be challenged as I'm sure a lot of people do. And you certainly get that when you're at university because you're learning so much information. Um, and that sort of epiphany caused me to realize that, you know, finance wasn't my passion any longer. And that spun me on to a couple year journey to figure out what uh, the next career move was for me. As fate would have it, and I always I always say the universe gives you what you need. I had an opportunity very shortly after that that light bulb moment of um, uh, to, a chance to move out to the West Coast in California and work in the tech space in Silicon Valley as a consultant to a tech startup. And I, I jumped at that. Um, and in tandem to that, I started my own consulting firm while out there to take on clients in different industries to start to get my toes wet in things I didn't yet understand and see where I couldn't cover my passion. And six months after the move to California, the NHL Coaches Association reached out uh, asking if I would consult for them. And that was in the fall of 2016 and, and fast forward over the past seven seasons. And here I am as their president. I find your path super interesting. Obviously, you're a DeSatel alum. We're at the Miguel Sports Management Club. We're a DeSatel affiliated club. So the vast majority of members go to Desatel. I'm a become student as well. Um, then obviously after McGill, you you went in and were in, I guess a more traditional business role and were able to use that experience and translate that into sports. How do you feel that your experience in a more traditional business environment allowed you to be an asset and you were able to leverage that experience from your finance and consulting path into into sports? Mm -hmm. So as a marketer, I always say you have the same toolkit. There's no difference between a marketer in one industry to the next. It's how you wield those tools or what the focus of the product you're selling or marketing is. And so it wasn't, um, it wasn't a barrier, like a huge learning curve for me to jump from traditional business or finance into sports, because I was just marketing a different product now, but I knew how to be a marketer. I'd already learned how to be a marketer. And that learning started at McGill when I first started taking marketing courses. And so for me, transitioning out of McGill after graduation into the work world, I knew right away I needed to be in an entrepreneurial type of firm where I'd get to wear many different hats I didn't want to be siloed into one specific role of sort of rinse and repeat day in and day out of doing the same thing over and over again. That just wouldn't work for me. And so 
uh, I went into a firm where I'd have a chance or an opportunity to sort of flex lots of different muscles. So I wasn't just doing marketing. I was working with the portfolio management team to understand the investment decisions that they were making. I was working with our back office to understand fund operations and how clearances and settlements work. I was working with our compliance department to understand the legal side of it and the contracts and everything that needed to go on there from the regulatory perspective. So right from the get-go, I started doing a lot of different roles okay. within sort of the marketing, I'm using air quotes for those listening, umbrella. Um, so because of all that experience, uh, and it wasn't just at my first company that then set me up to go into, you know, an, another firm, a, a, another billion dollar firm and, and take over the marketing department um, and also still have, you know, key roles in lots of different departments within the company. All of that experience set me up to be able to transition into sports and not just directly into sports. You know, I transitioned into technology first. I transitioned into um, running the marketing department for a bioscience company. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about chemistry and bioscience um, and how active ingredients are made, but I knew how to market. So yeah. I could rely on all of my past experience to go in and almost be like a one woman shop um, that a company could plug into the marketing role, but have much more of an impact than just traditional marketing. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, obviously, you got, your, you got your hands dirty in a lot of different areas. And I think that's super cool. Uh, at McGill, was there anything that you wish you got out of your educational experience that you think could have helped you in your career in business or sports business? Yeah, I mean, I think you need a solid university education to go into the business world for sure. So just having the um, opportunity to take so many different courses, I don't obviously know what McGill and Desote requires now, but when I was there, you know, you had your prerequisites and then you had your electives um, and just the wide range of what those courses cover really sets you up in the sense of you get small glimpses into different areas. Now, obviously, if you're doing like an accounting major or something, you're going to load up on a lot of accounting courses and you go pretty deep within that specific field. But I think for me anyway, McGill was a great opportunity for me to see all parts of a business and to really hone in on what was interesting to me and what inspired me. And so that that set me up the the diversity of the courses to pivot into the job market and what my career has ultimately unfolded to be. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely helpful, obviously. Like a lot of kids are gonna be listening to this. They're they they want to get like a, a foot ahead of everyone else. So it's good you had that experience and people can kind of learn off off of you uh i guess one like little sidebar the the curriculum at taste hasn't changed all that much it's the core courses and all the electives but one thing the sports management club and i'm trying to do is we had like a meeting with um essentially like the board of directors with taste and tried to pitch them the idea of adding some sports management courses so it's something that the club is trying to work on yeah i know there's a lot of programs out there that focus specifically on sports management there and they're usually two years right so um the interesting part and actually we haven't touched on it yet but within the sort of sports management side of it the whole like law degree element plays a big part or the contract side of it 
that's a big part that I learned on the job, um, yeah. in real world experiences, um, working with our compliance, you know, our chief compliance officers and working with our third party lawyers and just having to bury my nose in legal documents to understand what was going on. And so uh, that set me up really well for what I'm doing now with the NHL Coaches Association, because we we don't negotiate the coaches contracts ourselves, but we okay. say, you know, we get them to the two yard line. We arm them with everything that they need to know to go in and negotiate um, their contract. And so uh, that was a skill set that I I'd cultivated over 10 years in finance before I was able to now bring it into my role in sports. Yeah, I, I find that super interesting. You, you've been at the NHL Coach Association uh, since 2016, obviously director of marketing and now the president since 2019. How do you feel that the organization has grown uh, throughout your time there? It's grown drastically. So when my colleague and I, uh, our executive director, Mike Hirschfeld, and I took over the association together actually in 2016, only 44% of NHL coaches were even members of the association. Oh, so really? unlike the NHL Players Association, which is a union, we are not a union. And there's totally different org structures and things that go along with being a union versus not a union. So as a professional association, coaches didn't need to join. They weren't mandated to join. And so the previous, you know, predecessor to, to Mike and I taking over at the NHLCA um, hadn't really done a great job at explaining the value or proving value to NHL coaches. And so okay. in the fall of 2016, you know, we essentially had to put on our sales hat and put together a one, three, five year plan to how we were going to improve the association, the value we were going to deliver to coaches and meet with every team and their entire coaching staff to talk about it. Uh, and so we essentially, you know, had our sales hat on for um, 18 months to make sure we were seeing every team. At the time, I was still living in California, running my consulting practice. So I'd see every coaching staff when they went through San Jose to play the Sharks and my colleague yeah. Mike would see them in Toronto. Um and from there, you know, within a few years, we we have 100% participation from all coaches. So oh, cool. um, every coach now is a member and they, you know, make sure they pay their dues as soon as we go out in, in the fall to collect them. So that's just one very easy thing to point at in terms of how we've grown. There's two other areas that I'd want to touch on in terms of the growth under um, my leadership specifically. So the first is on member services. I, you know, I just talked about how the coaches weren't members because they didn't have any value. We had to go and show them, you know, what could we do to help them? And so yeah. when I was giving the overview of what the NHLCA does in terms of helping them with their pensions and their health benefits and cross-border issues and all that sort of stuff, that was never there. That wasn't a service that was even offered to them. So we've built up our member services a ton you know, we put a lot of like nice freebies in, you know, you got a free suit when you join and a Bauer, you know, gift card for, you know, buy your kids some hockey gear, whatever it may be. So it's really valuable now for coaches to join. Um, the second area we've, we've really grown out and in me specifically as it falls under my purview is all of our programming. So we have a number of different programs that are broadly focused on developing the next generation of NHL coach. That's through a lens of having a free um, coaching development program that any coach from any part of the world can take part in. So webinar series, 
we now have 6,000 coaches from 32 different countries who are part of that program. And that's just since we launched it um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, within three years, we've grown from zero to over 6,000. And then also um, three years ago, we launched a program to support women who aspired to coach in the NHL or the AHL, the American Hockey League, the feeder league up to the NHL, and also a program to support BIPOC coaches too. And so all of those new initiatives weren't around, um, you know, until the past kind of three years. And then the last piece of it really is revenue generation, right? Like we've got to pay bills. We've got to keep the lights on. I have to make a salary. As much as I love my job, I can't do it for free. And so how are we actually making money? Because we don't, there's a, there's an NBA coaches association too, and they're actually funded by the NBA in a percent of their profits. So they're great. They're getting tens of millions coming their way. We're not structured like that. So we needed to find some revenue sources. And that was what I was tasked with from day one is how am I going to make money? And, you know, an easy thing to do is set up a golf tournament. Everybody wants to come out and golf <laughs> with NHL coaches. So there you go. Check that box. You know, so having some event planning experience and marketing partnership sales. But really, the biggest piece that I wish I'd explored back in my university days, and if there had been sports management classes at McGill, I totally would have taken these, is on like partnership marketing and yeah. partnership sales specifically within sports, because it's a huge industry. And I'll touch on this in a second when we kind of talk about career pathways within sports, but I had no sports sponsorship sales experience when I came into the association and I had to learn really quickly how to speak the lingo, how to go into, you know, Gatorade and say, Hey, I, I you know, I want you to sponsor X, Y, Z and I need a hundred thousand dollars for it. Like, you know, how do you prove the value? So that was one area I really had to learn on the fly. Um, and we've grown, you know, exponentially. Now we have a number of corporate partnerships and, and annual recurring revenue that funds our association. And my, my business partner, and I always said, you know, we want to set the association up to be completely managed for two years if we were to leave. Because when we took it over, there was, you know, 10 cents in the bank account. And we said, yeah. well, we want to leave it in a good place. So now, you know, if, if, um, I wasn't here tomorrow. It, the association would be fine for the next two years off of the revenue pool that we've been able to build up. Yeah. Honestly, that, that's super cool. Like me, myself, I'm an aspiring hockey executive. I work for the McGill hockey team as like a hockey ops intern and they signed me up for the NHLCA mentorship program. So it's cool that you were the person that spearheaded that. Love watching the the seminars, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's super cool. Like just I feel like the NHLCA has kind of gotten their name out there a bit more for people that are super interested in hockey. And it certainly makes sense about kind of why that's happening. It's cool to learn a bit of the behind the scenes about it. Yeah, we for the first few years when when we took over, we didn't need to be public. You know, we didn't even have a website, but that was fine because nobody in the public needed to know who we were. Just our NHL coaches needed to know who yeah. we were and to call us. And so we made that conscious decision not to have a public profile. Um, it was really in the spring of 2019 when I launched our website that we first had a brand presence online. And that's you know, another thing I learned on the fly, we didn't have any budget at that time. And so I learned how to HTML code. And now it's there's tons of platforms out there to create websites. So it's, you know, it's pretty easy for anybody. But um, we had to 
consciously sit and think about like, well, what is our brand? Who, who are we? What is our voice? Like, what do we stand for? What do we want to have an opinion on? What do we want the public to see about us? And, you know, that really very easily was decided to be, we want to support the development of anybody that aspires to coach. And especially if they want to coach in the NHL, that's great. We're trying to help them along in that journey that, you know, there's only 32 jobs in the NHL if you want to be the head coach. So those who have made it to the top, recognize how fortunate they are to be there and have endless time to help give back to the broader hockey community. Um, I love that you gave the shout out to the mentorship program that you've watched in the seminars, but that, that like full credit to our NHL and our AHL coaches for giving me their time to lead those yeah. sessions because without them saying, yes, you know, yeah, Lynn, sure. Whatever you need. I can't run that program and we can't now be helping support those 6,000 coaches. Uh, and I love that you're involved with the McGill hockey team. We actually have the women's head coach as part of our our female coaches development program, Alyssa. So she's in our network and uh, got to meet her in person last year when the Montreal Canadiens hosted the NHL draft. Yeah. And, and we were all there running uh, our annual conference in Montreal. Yeah, well, that's super cool. Obviously, love to have more McGill representation, obviously. And I think you're, you're a testament to that. Uh, I just want to like switch gears a little bit and talk about like advice for students. Uh, are there any like points of advice that you have for the people listening to this call? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. Um, and one thing I'll say is it's as you're starting out in your career, you don't know what you don't know and ask. You need to just ask mm-hmm. people and try to learn as much information as you can. And one really great way to do that is to set up an informational interview where whether the contact has been suggested to you by somebody and it's sort of like a warm lead, or if you're literally just scrolling through LinkedIn, everybody loves talking about themselves. And if you just say, hey, so-and-so, your career path looks really interesting to me. Do you have 10 minutes to hop on a quick call for me to ask you a couple of questions about your career? Nine out of time, nine out of ten times, they'll say yes. I get asked that all the time. I always say yes because what's ten minutes out of my day to talk about my career, right? So, I would encourage anybody to to go that route um, because you never know what little snippet you're going to pick up. The most important part, and actually, there's two follow up things that most people don't do after they've had that call. The first is before you end the call, ask if that person has somebody else that you could talk to because it's always better to get that like warm lead or warm referral in. And the second one is stay in touch with that person. Yeah. Definitely. Number, the number of times I've had these like 10, 15 minute chats and never heard from the person again is crazy. Right. Cause everybody wants a job and you know, it's, it's really unlikely that the person you're talking to is hiring at that exact moment when you're looking for a job. Yeah. But if they're hiring 12 months from now or 18 months from now, and you've been staying in touch with them kind of consistently, you know, like, I don't mean every week, but maybe once every six weeks, send them an article that you read that was about their company or that you think they might be interested in. Just drip on them a little bit to keep some tension in that rope so that you stay kind of top of mind. I have one kid who wants to get into sports analytics and he's been awesome at it. He like stays in touch. He makes sure he follows me on Twitter. You know, he just sent me a message yesterday morning being like I saw you ran the Toronto half marathon yesterday congrats how did it go and I'm like wow like that's really great if I 
if I hear of something open in the hockey world in an intellectual, yeah. he's the first person I'm thinking of because he's built over however many months that like brand name almost in my own head. Right. Yeah. So that would be my advice for, for everybody as you're kind of graduating and going into the work world is networking is the number one thing. Now, obviously if you're going to go be a doctor or a lawyer, you got to have the education behind it and you've got to, you know, have your articling time and there's the, there's all that that goes along with it. But I hear from our NHL coaches all the time. Like they got their job because of somebody that they knew. Yeah. His nose or X's nose. Like they're really not one coach isn't really that much better than the other from a technical standpoint. It's, it's all of the like soft skills and the communication and who, you know, so Anyway, there's lots of advice I could give, but that's probably the biggest one is, is to build your network and cultivate your network. You know, I, I think that's a, a great place to to end here. I think that advice is super important to I don't have people keep reaching out to everyone in the industry and trying to gain some more insights. So this was a, a really great call. I'm sure everyone listening will will get a lot out of it. And we just really appreciate you taking the time, obviously. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, Kyle, and good luck to everybody. If you're still uh, heading into more years of university, it's the best time. Enjoy it. It goes so fast and you don't appreciate it until you're decades out of it and then you just want to go back. So enjoy the time and uh, good luck to everyone and have a great summer.